Hello, I'm Dr. Laura Williams, and you're listening to Know Your Own Psychology. After many years building a successful career as a psychologist, I finally realised that it didn't reflect the autonomy and freedom I wanted in both my life and work. As I made plans to begin working for myself, my husband died suddenly and my whole world fell apart. But with a young family to look after and big dreams I did not want to give up on, I took some time and in the middle of the global pandemic, I left my old life behind. Today, I'm a private psychologist, digital course creator, mum to five and best-selling author. My mission is to simplify psychological ideas so that you can know your own psychology influence all the areas of your life and achieve more meaning, freedom and purpose. Are you ready to be empowered? This is Know Your Own Psychology, the podcast. Today on the podcast, I am talking to Daniela Westbrook. Daniela is an actress and television presenter, best known for playing the role of Sam Mitchell in EastEnders. As well as her acting roles, Daniela has taken part as a contestant in various reality TV shows over the years, including I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here, Dancing on Ice and Celebrity Big Brother. As many will know, Daniela has fought a very public battle with addiction, which had a devastating impact on her health, career and relationships. Daniela has released a number of autobiographical books, including The Other Side of Nowhere and Faith, Hope and Clarity. She now spends her time speaking out about substance misuse, helping others struggling with addiction and working on her recovery daily. Daniela and I connected over on Instagram a few months ago and I am delighted to be able to welcome her to the podcast today. I know that her insights into addiction and recovery will be valuable to many. So welcome Daniela to Know Your Own Psychology, the podcast. It's so lovely to have you here. Thank you. (laughs) We connected over Instagram a few months back, didn't we? And I was so inspired to hear about your journey and how you're doing now. So thank you for coming on to talk to me. Oh, that's okay. Thank you for having me on your show. I love it. No, amazing. Amazing. So, Daniela, you have been through more than most in your lifetime. Um, Challenges of fame and fortune, addiction that's robbed you of so much and we've seen you on our television screens for years and some people might believe that they already know your story but today we're going to be focusing on your journey to sobriety your daily strategies for coping and what's next for you in the future so first of all how are you and who is Daniela Westbrook these days um, I'm very well actually I feel I feel good I'm in a good place um yeah, I just feel, I feel, actually, I was talking to my mum two days ago, and um, I said, we'd had a lovely weekend, and my children had been down, and lovely. afterwards, I texted my mum, and I was on my way to work, so I was doing GB News, texted my mum, just say thank you for, like, hosting us all today, meeting at her house in the garden, it was lovely, and yeah. she said, no, it was really nice, she said, I think we all needed it, and I said, it's the happiest I've felt since before my kids left home. Oh, amazing. And I, yeah, I, first time I since about 2014, I felt really just I felt happy I felt complete it was lovely good I'm glad to hear that things are well and I actually saw some of your pictures it looked like a really happy um family day oh it was lovely yeah good good so good to hear that you're well um and one of the things so I read your book um in preparation for doing this today um the other side of nowhere 
And one of the things that really struck me about it, Daniela, was the shift in your relationships um, as addiction took hold. And it seemed you talked about your group of girlfriends and it, it seemed that you'd kind of left solid foundations behind and your relationships became sometimes a bit superficial or were linked to drug use in some way. And what I'd love to know, though, is how important have your relationships been in your sobriety journey? You've got like absolutely spot on, didn't you, about my relationships in the past. The relationships I've had during recovery and, and beforehand um, have been fundamental, actually, to, to me in my recovery because it's what you know. You go back to what you know, who you was before you was an addict. And I'm yeah. lucky I still have all my friends from like that I grew up with in my life, very close friends, that knew me before I was famous, before I was yeah. a drug addict, before I was any of those things, before, you know, yeah. all the chaos and the car crash and all the stuff that went on before I was a mother before all that stuff yeah. so I think it's so important sometimes to get back to that but the shame keeps you away from it guilt and shame and ego yeah. keeps you away you know as well because you feel ashamed of the way you behaved and stuff like that but during my early career um I did sort of break away from everybody because I was out doing different things to what they were doing and I was called to do so many events and premieres and that sort of stuff and it was part of my job to do it that I sort of was alienated alienated myself from my friends a little bit and I was like suddenly caught up with other actors and just people in the industry and that's fine if you're not uh, if you don't have all the isms of addiction uh, which I did and um yeah, and I think they just slowly watched me fall apart. And, and and I know my very close friends, it broke their hearts, but they was yeah. always still there, always reaching out to me, always trying to get me to do, you know, stuff with them. And I just got further and further away. And the same goes for my family. Yeah, and it's it's great to hear that you're back in that love, and those core relationships around you again. That's that's you know. yeah. I, I I've got all my old friends from like primary school, a close group of friends from primary and, and from my teens and stuff. Yeah. and Leg and, and Jenny, few, people that know me, as I said, from primary school, that are my children's godparents and stuff. And now I've moved back down to Essex. Yeah, I'm just I see everybody all the time, and it's just so nice. Just I think God, my life could have always been like this. Yeah, yeah, it was me. Yeah. Okay. And, you know, it's, it's interesting to hear you say that I, I also have um, lots of friends from primary school and it's just so important and fundamental to your identity, I think, isn't it? And who you are as a person. So that's great that you have that now. Also, I think when I was younger, I just didn't, well, we don't know to me when we're younger, hindsight's a great thing, but now at 40, nearly 49, I look and I think, wow, if I'd have known back then how important these people was going to be in my life, I never would have let them go. Yeah, yeah, absolutely, absolutely. Similarly, reflecting on, you know, I know that you know a bit of my story and when I lost my husband uh, back in 2018, it was those people, those core people that I just phoned and they dropped everything and they were there within half an hour to be with me and to help me through it, you know. Yeah, I I read that on your story as well, how much you you got through because of their support. Yeah, 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 absolutely. Okay, so... Daniela, one of the things that you've had to deal with, of course, because of your fame, was how public your addiction was. And you were under a level of scrutiny that most people will never fully understand or comprehend. What was that like to deal with on top of the addiction itself? Um, well, the first time around was the, the biggest, I think, um, yeah. when it came out. There was always like, you know, question marks around me, I suppose. Is she, isn't she, is she, isn't she? Until the nose picture came out. And then everybody really knew. But before that, they knew because I just looked here and I wasn't holding down commitments. I wasn't doing well. I was messing up here, there, and everywhere. And it was just, it was just obvious. It was they couldn't keep making excuses. Um, then it came out in the press, which actually done me the world of good. I was already in the priory by the time that came out. 
And in a way, I wish I wish now that I wasn't in the Priory when that article had come out. Yeah. Because they put me in a bubble. Yeah. Once again, I was protected. And I know it's great to be protected, but there's being protected and there's being mollycoddled and, and kept away from the realism of what mm-hmm. actually the stockiness of what I was doing and what I faced and what I'd done to myself. I was in the Priory. No one was allowed to talk about it when it, the day it came out. And the next day, all the, you know, the good morning shows and that were talking about it. No one was allowed the TV on and stuff. And I, in a way I didn't think anything of it I thought it was just being nice but now I look back and I think really it's just sheltered me again from it it didn't help me get clean I got clean don't get me wrong and I stayed clean 14 years but it didn't help me break through the barriers that I could have broken through yeah in treatment that time around should I have been faced and confronted with that and had to deal with it but I think people just thought I was so ill it was the best thing to do for me at that time and it probably was but I I actually not a lot of people probably say this and probably find me weird for saying it by my reasons. I find that the the British press and media actually helped save my life. If I'd have been a drug addict and not been so, wow. you know, notorious in the press for different things. And back then, Senders was a very big show in the early 90s. And, you know, it was only four or five channels on the TV then. So all the papers, we didn't have internet and stuff. So all the papers were a big deal. I think if it hadn't been so widespread for me, um, and I hadn't been in the press so much, and I'd have just been a normal girl with a drug addiction problem, I'd be dead. Yeah. It's so fascinating, isn't it? So that scrutiny, in a way, was protective and helpful. Um, yeah, it is. I mean, at the time, people don't say it. They're like, oh, the press needs to leave her alone. They're killing her. This, this, and this. No, I was killing me. And actually what they was doing was making me aware. And I was so, and as it, once again, as we say all the time in the rooms, and it will come up throughout this interview, I've already said it once already, but ego the other thing was ego and it was like it made me all right I still used but it made, made me so um so much more aware of who was watching me what was I was doing da, 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 da. so I wasn't so brazen with yeah. everything um so it did teach me to fix up a little bit but yeah. yeah at the same time I think a lot of the time my management and people around me sort of mollycoddled me and kept me away from so many things that when you've been treated special as from very young as an actor and you've yeah. been famous from very young and been allowed to get away from things and people do treat you that way. When it's something as horrific as this, this addiction, which is life-threatening, um, it's not a time to be treated with kid gloves. It's time for tough love. Yeah. That's so interesting. I didn't find that out till the last time round. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. And you've talked a couple of times about ego and one of the questions that I had was around guilt and shame as well, which you mentioned. Exactly. Um, and in my clinical practice, one of the most difficult things my clients often need to overcome is the shame that they've internalized around their behavior, their past behavior. And so guilt is essentially like I've done a bad thing versus shame as a core belief of I am a bad person. Has shame been something that you've had to work on? And how have you done that? What, fame or, or shame? Shame, shame. Shame. Yeah. You know what, the shame thing, yeah, I could always just really, really, it's so it's so integral actually but now look here when I was working my steps in treatment I've worked my steps four or five times 12, yeah. I worked a 12 step program so with my sponsor but I did the last lot I did in treatment I actually did the whole 12 steps while I was there with the three months and we had to do it in front of our groups apart from our, our um, step about sexual misgivings and stuff like that that was the only step we don't we do privately yeah. but um, I look back at all four lots of four or five lots of my steps they're all so different they hit me at different times and it's like the shame thing when I look back a lot of it I just didn't get it I wasn't getting it I was like I was ashamed the shame I've caused I feel ashamed for that not I wasn't looking at my what my actions have caused other people to shame 
okay. and, and the embarrassment, my family, my children. It was always about me, 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 me. Yeah. And I, and I wasn't really, yes, I was getting off drugs, but I wasn't really learning to park the addict. The addict was still at play. So when I finally learned that part of about being, I posted something about it at the weekend about, you know, an addiction manifests and it takes hold. It takes a long time when you put it down to, to heal, to learn, to take it one day at a time, to be, you know, to have compassion, to be patient, and also to look at other people when you're making amends and think just because we've got well doesn't mean to say that they've got to keep on the same page as us. What we've done to them and the hurt and stuff we cause, you have to give them people time to process that in their own time. You can't just expect them to jump and forget it all. Yeah. And yeah. I think you have to look at that. That's the shame. You have to look at the shame of, the shame of not people talking about this stuff, but the shame of how you've made other people feel. Yeah, and those yeah, costs. And that's hard to deal with. But it's if you can get that, it's one of the fundamental things that will keep you well. Yeah, absolutely. No, I, I agree 100% with that. And I've, I've seen a few of your interviews speaking about that, you know, how it, um, the addiction sort of took you away from those who were closest to you. And over time, you've built those relationships back up and, and you know, obviously how important that is. Um, okay, now a psychologist, um, Daniela, I quite often talk about the t- um, self-medicating. So yeah. I see it with my clients a lot, right? You know, using drugs, alcohol, coffee, um, whatever works for them to numb out negative or difficult emotions. How much of your addiction was like this? So numbing out overwhelming emotions. Everything. That's the whole point. I was a drug addict, so I wanted to be numb. Yeah. And I found this uh, when I first took coke. I was like, oh, this feels great. Yeah. I don't feel like I'm me. I feel like I'm like away from my own feelings and out, like an out of body experience. But the more I use, the more it just become seedy and you know insular and isolated, and it made me numb. Yeah. And then that took me away. Then it was the addiction that took me away from the away from my peak core group. Yeah. That's did that took me away. And I liked it like that because then I didn't have to see anybody. I didn't have to make excuses for not seeing them. I just I could just use as horrible as that is, but. It's it's very, very difficult. It really is. There's so many things you fix on. We could say fixing on, we call it fixing on things, self-medicating. But, you know, I've gone through the shopping, the gym, plastic surgery. Yeah. Uh, it can be anything. It could be anything because I it's an ism, alcoholism, addiction, you know, all of them things that they all are, they're all part of a 12-step program that you have to overcome. It's not just, it's yeah. not just putting down the drugs, it's the threefold illness. Yeah, and it's interesting you talking about that. So replacing one addiction with another one that might be more socially acceptable, but still nonetheless is unhealthy for you. Yeah, and that's what I mean. People say, "Oh, you put it down, and that's really good." But then people get stuck on meetings; they can't stop going to meetings, or they can't. Stop. But that's really we've got to break the cycle of it's all an addiction. Yeah, because you think, "Well, I'm doing well because I've got this healthy addiction now." But yeah, well, you really it's no addiction and stability and structure in your life. Yeah, and have, and have a, you know a, a positive way forward, but that's the hard bit. That's a very hard bit to learn. Sure, and it feels like what you're talking about there is balance. Like everything needs to be balanced as much as possible. Yeah, yeah, and, and most most people that have, have suffered from any any sort of addiction, whatever it may be, we're mm-hmm. so hyper one way, hyper higher, hyper low. There is no balance. So yeah. for us to get balance is a real thing that we struggle with. Yeah, because we we see it. But we're going to meetings every day, and I'm going to the gym, and I'm going to bed early, and I'm eating well, and I'm being nice to people, and I'm doing my gratitude list. You know, and it's like you are, but you're swapping this, and now you're getting into this, which is great. It's more healthy, but you need to find structure with your life. It's like finding everything has to go into the time frame. It hasn't can't be all consuming all the time, because that's when people fall off and they relapse. 
because yeah. the pressure they put themselves under of doing all the good stuff is too much. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And I think often when people are in treatment for any kind of um, difficulty, they do put pressure on themselves to get better quickly, to get yeah. better, you know, and, and set high expectations even for their recovery. And that can really put you in a difficult place. Yeah, I think because people want to just sometimes you get well and you get off the drugs. And so that once you get off of that stuff, and you've, you know, you've got rid of the cloudiness. Then you just sort of want to get out and get on with your life as quick as possible and put it all behind you and sweep it under the carpet. But if you stay in a long time, like I did stay three, four months in treatment at one point in America, I was there nearly six months. And I I yeah. worked on so many different things because I got used to doing all, living a normal life after drugs. But then I got used to starting to work on me. Yeah. You know, on the inside and the, and the different causes of it. Yeah, no, absolutely. It's so much more than just putting something down and hitting and going to meetings. Yeah, yeah. And actually that brings me on because I know that you've had a couple of spells in rehab and you spoke about in your book how the majority of them were largely, not all of them, but the majority were largely focused on the physical addiction. I'm really interested to know what type of psychological work you've done over the years and what's worked for you. Um, I spent about four, four and a half years seeing a, a fantastic therapist, B.G. Coakley, yeah. every year. He was my therapist and, and I um I love the guy dearly, really do love him to bits. He was great. Him and his ex-wife, Joe, were fantastic. And I still speak to Beachy now. Um, and then I, when I was in my last rehab at PCP, um, I had a great, very counsellor and mentor in Michelle Woodridge, who's been through it all. He's 30 odd years clean and sober. He's a proper psychologist. He's like yourself and life experience. And she just used to look at me and go, but Daniela, let's be real with this. That's your truth, but what is the truth? And she worked through it with me and it was like, she did. I've done loads of inner child work. I've done codependency. Um, what's the other stuff? I've done so many things. Codependency. I've done um, being awareness, what my triggers are, um, yeah. the drama triangle. So many different things. There's so many different forms of it. And I, I just, I love it. I just love it. I just love it. It's always something new to learn. Yeah. And I've worked I... my self-esteem, how to get that back. Yeah, you know, yeah. stuff like that. And how to do it yourself, not by not looking in, uh, for it in other people's compliments. Sure. And I know I've seen you speaking in interviews about sort of embracing more spiritual things and sort of more woo-woo type things. Um, yeah. yeah, like, and meditation something that you've talked about. I meditate. I've just finished doing a meditation upstairs just now. Yeah. I'm working on the Silverman, Silverman um, at the moment, that that project type thing of that is that mm-hmm. teachings and learnings, the Silverman one. I've done all different ones, but, yeah, I go on retreats and I've always been very spiritual. I was brought up quite spiritually, like not hippie dippy, but like yeah. free spirit. My kids are free spirits and I've, I've been told to believe in whatever I want to believe in, higher power wise. But I like, I love God, but I have the universe for me and the things. I just have a connection and I just love it. I love nature. I love all that sort of stuff. But I just think it's so, it's so much more to, spirit, to being a spiritual. Yeah. It's always new you can learn and, and unlock. I think we'll always be learning. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and I can hear within what you're saying, there's a holistic nature to how you're looking at your recovery and your, your ongoing. Yeah. Um, yeah. yeah, for me, there has to be something bigger than me, like bigger than this, the addiction, mm-hmm. um, and bigger than me and from, that I can connect to because I've, sometimes I just don't deal well with pressure. I'll just isolate and stuff like that. That's my way of fear-based. Sure. But So for me, so on the spiritual one, if I get out every day, even if it's 20 minutes and have a walk, no yeah. phone. You know, and just get out and I look sky, even the traffic, whatever, just get to the park, do whatever, have a wander. 
yeah. do stuff. Even if it's 10, 20 minutes, even in the rain, the rain's never going to kill me. Yeah. But I need to get out and I need to connect. I just need to connect with the earth sometimes. And I do meditate, I do manifest, I do all of them things. And, and I always say to people, whatever works for you, hang on in there. Absolutely. And, and, and it works for me. I worked that with the 12-step program and I'm, I'm finding out the things that work for me. I took myself away last year to Leeds for a year. Um, I, I was living in Liverpool before that and my family obviously are all in Essex. But I just took a rental on a house in, um, in Leeds for a year. My friend, my friend's going, why are you going to Leeds? You don't know anyone in Leeds. I was like, that's exactly the point. I don't even know myself. I'm going to know myself. Yeah. And I spent most of it on my own. Started reading, my, writing my next book, did online courses. I've been the child and chakras and different things and different triggers and all sorts of stuff, trauma-based, trauma, trauma and depression, all stuff. And I worked through a lot and I actually learned to really sit with myself and like myself. Right. And, you know, it, yeah, it's so important that, isn't it, taking time for yourself. And if it if it works for you, do that. You know, I, yeah. it's important not to be prescriptive about things have to be done this particular way. Um, okay, now, in a previous life, Daniela, I worked in Scottish prisons. And one of the programs I facilitated back then was the Substance Misuse Offending Behaviour Programme. <laughs> now, it was a prerequisite that if guys were still using in prison, they just wouldn't be allowed to do the course. And I mean, it made sense at the time because, you know, if they were under the influence coming to group, it meant it was hard for them to take anything meaningful away from it. But I remember my issue with it at the time was that it meant that often those with the most intractable, the worst addiction issues, simply just couldn't get the help that they needed. And yep. I just wondered what your experience of that is or if you have any experience of that at all. But I just think it's... <sighs> It's so needed and there's no, you know, there is no funding, especially in prisons. Yeah, it's great because, you know, in prison you can learn to do a new skill, this, that and the other. It's all great. But sometimes you need, to, again, to put all that stuff down. And I'm no better place really than being being in prison because you're away from, well, I suppose there's drugs everywhere, but you're away from your local circle and your community. Mm -hmm. And if you've got a long time in there, you could be all that time clean. When you come out, you've got more chance of, of staying sober and well. And if you've got the tools to do it, it just... I think it should be part of, if you go in and you have got a drug problem, I think it should be mandatory that you have to go to do the group. Yeah, yeah. And it's it's such a difficult um, resource to provide, of course. But, um, yeah, that's interesting. It would help so many people. If, sorry to interrupt you. This helps so many women. Say, all right, it's like any recovery or any meeting, right, of, mm. of people that when they get well, so out of every 10 people, two, maybe less than half, but nearer to five, are going to relapse. Yeah. Or whatever, you know, but. Yeah, every one of them, especially when they're even in prison, is having important stories to tell, and those people can really save a lot of lives. Yeah, because when they come, when they come out, they could be great mentors to other people. Yeah, no, absolutely. Okay, and so moving on to next question, um, one of the things, Daniela, that I think has become clear over recent years is the extent to which women's use of alcohol in particular is on the rise. And I've definitely noticed the messaging seems to be all around about it's gin o'clock and normalising alcohol use. What role do you think gender plays in those identifying as women speaking out about their use of substances? I think it can be really helpful. I mean, drugs used to be a taboo subject. Alcohol, is, alcohol I think there needs to be an awakening. And there needs to be some sort of, you know, big PR drive about it. Yeah. But because people don't realise what it can do to, you know, if you're a young person, it can do to, you know, affect your going forward having children. Um, just in general, as you get older, menopause, everything else, your health, your liver, 
whatever. But it's like there's all these brunches now and it's like brunch every Sunday for these parties and it's all it's all so alcohol bubbly based, you know, and it looks pretty for Instagram. It looks this, but no one's really saying about the dangers behind it. Yeah. And if there's somebody like me that used to be able to go to, with all her friends out on a Friday and Saturday night and everyone else go home, that I'm just looking for the next one. The next one is if you're that way inclined, where you like, well, I like that drink. I like that. I like that. Let's go again. Let's go to a different one. And then before you know it, it's the summer and people are drinking five, six days a week or it's five o'clock somewhere. The kids are home from school. Put have a glass of wine while I'm doing dinner. Before you know it, a bottle becomes two bottles and it can, it can help a lot of people, but it's not really that much awareness around alcoholism. Yeah, I would agree with that. And actually, um, what I've read a book in the last couple of years that I recommend to clients thinking about, you know, their drinking behaviour. It's called The Joy of Being Sober. And honestly, that book just even it opens my eyes in terms of how often the messaging that we see every day on social media, on TV, is geared around alcohol use and how normalised it is in comparison to things like drugs. Um, and I think you're right, there needs to be... Yeah, and I think there is a there is a step change. It feels to me like there is a bit of a shift coming. More and more of my generation, I think, are thinking about how much they want to be spending their time drinking. Does it help? What would your advice be to anyone listening who's dealing with addiction issues and what coping strategies would you suggest for them? Um, it's hard. I get, I get probably must get through about 200 email inboxes a week on socials and I always try and get back to everybody. Um, I just think, I say reach out and tell somebody, but everybody probably close to you would know and that takes a lot. But I think the first step is just is making it vocal yeah. and realise you've got a problem. And, um, and if you really want help and you want to stop, then you need to reach out to somebody. You need to get a meeting list get to a meeting. I know it's scary, but, you know, just ring the helpline number for every alcoholics, anonymous, gamblers, anonymous, and narcotics, okay, whatever it may be. Um, go online on YouTube, listen, even just listen to one of the shares of whatever your particular meeting was be because of your addiction and listen to one of the chairs so you know what a meeting's going to be like. Yeah. Um, it's only going to be 10, 20 minutes long, that part. Once you've done that and you know it's, you know, we skip fear and the unknowns out of the way, then call the helpline number. And if you can't get there, someone will come and get you, you know, and bring you to a meeting. It's nothing scary. It's like all run by ex-addicts and alcoholics. That's how we all got well. And, you know, you just help each other. Nothing you're ever going to say in, the, in those rooms is going to be a surprise to anyone because we've all probably done it ourselves one way or another. And it really is the best thing you'll ever do. And it's you've got to take your life back you have to take control and take the power back in your life and it, if it's making you really miserable and it, you know you're in isolation you're in a terrible place then what is going to be scared of it can only get better to so get to a meeting and get a sponsor Amazing. do what you just did you know get the 12 steps in place and if you're really you've really got to dig in and if people around you don't like it and they're trying to badge you to come out and use and stuff like that when you've told them that you're not well then you've got to cut them people out of your life until you're stronger yeah, and that, that can be such a difficult thing to do. But I think, as you say, it's important, like, who's around you, who you're surrounding yourself with, and getting to a meeting is hugely important. Yeah, but also, I think, sorry, a point, sorry, a point I'd like to make here as well is, like, sure. don't don't give yourself too many expectations, you know, of, like, I'm going to do this, I'm going to rule the world. Just take it a day. That's why it says, they say a day at a time. It's like, yeah, don't give yourself any expectations. You know, we're, we are only human beings. We all mess up. We all feel different things. We all react different ways. It's all part of the journey of getting well. Absolutely. But all you've got to do is be honest with yourself first. Absolutely. And what I'll do, I'll um, put some links to various organisations um, in the show. Brilliant. Well, no, Brilliant. 
Okay, Daniela, last question for you. Um, Right, what do you know about your own psychology now that maybe you didn't know back then? Um, What do I know now about? Well, so much differently. But we we change as we get older anyway, so we we, we think differently and stuff. But I think back then I was in such a rush to be fabulous, (laughs) you know, and to want it all and to reach the top and to do everything. I just sort of... I put my life on hold, I put myself on hold and getting to know myself on hold. I was constantly in a relationship for 15. I didn't spend any time on my own. I changed I changed friends really fast. And I thought that was because of my working environment, but it wasn't. It was because of my mindset. Yeah. And, you know, and I was, I, it was what suited me. And but my psychology, I just think you've got to learn to listen to your intuition. Yes. Keep your morals, keep your morals from, you know, how you should treat people, be humble and do things right. But also I think, for me is don't keep it inside yeah speak talk to people speak to people speak to whether it's a counselor you trust or friend group you trust or a peer or a parent or whatever speak and be visual because listening to somebody else's take on it will help you open your own mind yeah absolutely so sharing whatever's going on for you and getting a bit of identification can be hugely yeah um, yeah and it's and it's not burdening people or it's something to be ashamed of and stuff it can be the simplest of things uh, you know like for me, it's like even when I do my, my gratitude list and stuff in the morning and, and my stuff at the night time, I'm like, what have I done today? What's happened to me today? The things that I was sent for over and how could I have been felt differently? What could I have done differently? And it's, we're always learning. The brain is such an amazing thing, you know, and, and the way we think is so complex. But if you actually if you actually dissect it and, and you know what your triggers are and how you behave to try and change your behaviour, it's actually quite simple. Yeah. I love that. Okay, Daniela, thank you so much for being with us here. It's been such a pleasure to talk to you. And yeah, just thanks so much. And I wish you every success. I think what you've done and, and where you're going is just amazing. God bless you. Thanks for listening to this episode of Know Your Own Psychology. If you loved it, please share it on Facebook or Instagram for your friends and family. And if you really want to help me out, drop a review on Apple Podcasts. If you have any questions, you can email me hello at drlaurawilliams.com. And if you would like to know your own psychology better, influence all the areas of your life and achieve more meaning, freedom and purpose, come and join my growing community over on Facebook. Search Know Your Own Psychology and make a request.